Welcome to It Just Makes Sense, a podcast by two easily distracted, higher educated, former lovers that explores all the unpopular opinions, conspiracy theories, and cult leaders that make you want to scream, It It Just just Makes Sense. sense. I'm Sam Smith. And I'm Jeff Seifert. And on this week's episode, we're still on 1990's The Deadliest Decade, episode seven. Guys, you should be so proud. That was amazing. I didn't look at the script (laughs) for the first time. And what is that? 36 episodes? 37 is this, episodes. This is 37, right? Or 38. This might be 38. 38? Yeah. It took me almost an entire year <laughs> to memorize one line. Okay. Literally one line. <laughs> one line. One line. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's episode is called Dangerous Minds. Ooh, like the movie? Like the movie. That's what Living in a gangster's paradise. Also, did you see that Warren G's son was just signed to the Bills? I oh, did. If they don't play regular. I know, I know. And then <laughs> I was listening to the radio today, and the yeah. one host had no idea who Warren G was. I'm like, get out of here. You're like, his shtick is like that he's so old that he doesn't know anything. But like, still. It's corny. I love. He is really good looking. Warren G or the yeah. son? Warren G. Oh. I just Googled him. Eh? I'm like, I don't. I to don't. look at him. Hmm. And I was like, huh. so like I was surprised at how good looking he's aged. Interesting. Yeah. I just remember being like round. Wasn't he fat? I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? He's cute. I, that's not what I remember him as. Yeah. So in this week's episode, we're blasting off to the year 1997. Life in the hood, according to the show. Is that what it says? Is going mainstream. Uh. Stop. Rap is everywhere, and hip-hop in the early 90s was taking off. Take it off. And parents and lawmakers were losing their goddamn minds. Mm. They were like illicit lyrics, images in these rap videos, CDs. Bimbos looking like hoes. Yeah. They should be banned from being exposed to children. They wanted it off the shelves. But this did nothing to diminish its popularity in America's youth. It only made it more popular. Exactly. So one of these people that was caught up in this, and again, air quote, thug lifestyle, this is what this episode's saying, (laughs) was a guy named Jonathan Levin. But Jonathan grew up in a hamlet of Manhasset, Long Island. What's a hamlet? Like a small village or town. Like I know. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you think it was? I don't know. Like, I know that there's a hamlet, the hamlet of Rapids. What's that? I know there's like a hamlet in Holland. That's where Pam's from. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's just like a really small town. I didn't like really think it, like it was real. No, it's a real thing. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Jonathan loved rap music. And according to the TV show, I always have to say according to the TV show because I feel like this is very outdated and they say some wild things. <laughs> he was interested in the racial and cultural complexity in the music. And he was even into writing his own rap music. Nice. Now, he's like... Looks like white privilege all over it. Like, really? Ju- yeah, like... Man- a Like a Hamlet of Manhattan, Long Island. Like a Jewish Fair. white kid. Okay, like, you got know it. What I mean? Got it. Stereotypical. He right. fits, fits what you would think. Right. So the lifestyle he would rap about was far different than what he actually lived. He was rapping about the hustle and bustle of city living in New York City and being on the streets. But he lived 30 minutes away in a small neighborhood in Long Island. Living in the streets. <laughs> Jonathan was a child of divorce and he lived with his mom in Long Island in a rather upper middle class background. Mm. And he hated it. He wanted out. And after college around 22, he finally moved into the city. Where? 
Oh, New York City. <laughs> New York idiot. City. <laughs> <laughs> was, I was thinking of that salsa commercial. New York City. Oh. Right? Pace, pecan, pace. pace. Yeah. He was working in an insurance job for a few, few years, but he hated it. You know about that life. Mm, insurance. Tough job. So looking for more purpose out of life, Jonathan turned to teaching. He enrolled in a Master's of Education program at NYU. He settled on teaching English because he loved literature and writing. He landed a job as an English teacher at William H. Taft in the Bronx. Mm. At the time, this was one of the toughest high schools in the United States. And Jonathan jumped at the chance. Toughest, like, roughest neighborhood? Correct. Oh. Yeah. And at this time, crime had been going down in New York City, but not in the Bronx, in the area where the school was. It was either staying the same or rising. And Jonathan's friends and neighbors would joke with him like, oh, you're going to Taft? Like, hope you have a bulletproof vest. Nice. And it was like a dangerous place to be a teacher. So many of the students were bringing knives to school or screwdrivers or whatever they could get their hands on just to protect themselves in the school against like other kids. Because kids were getting into gangs. There was a lot of like jumping for initiations and like all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. But Jonathan didn't see all of this. He just saw the kids. He was determined to find a means to communicate with them and give them direction. Kind of like Dangerous Minds. Kind of like Michelle Pfeiffer. Correct. In the Dylan Dylan contest. Right. (laughs) And at first he struggled. The students didn't trust him. I'll have a chicken. I don't, I never saw that movie. You never no, saw it? that's why I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my about. god, all of these? <laughs> I know. My sister and I used to watch it nonstop. Really? Like, I know, like, all the lines. No, never saw it. There's the one scene where I she takes the one one of her students to a nice fancy restaurant because he wins the Dylan Dylan contest. <laughs> oh, now you ruined it. Continue. <laughs> and he's like, he doesn't know how to read the menu. And he goes, I'll have a chicken. A whole one. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh. So, Jonathan's students didn't trust him. There wasn't a lot of reasons for kids to have hope for their future and to trust in their teacher. Between the drug abuse in their neighborhood, broken families, unemployment, etc. These kids were just being realistic. So, Jonathan ditched traditional teacher rules and practices. And he tried to relate to the students, or relate literature to the students' lives by connecting on their level. Through their shared love of rap. Mm. He would rap Shakespeare and compare it to current music today. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And he used music to find common ground and open up about their lives. And he's slowly started to open up about himself and the students really started to open up to him. So one of these students was Corey Devon. He was raised in a Bronx gang. He really went to class. He rarely went to class. But when he did, or one day he was leaving out the back door and Jonathan was was outside the back door and he was smoking a cigarette. And Corey was like, I mean, if this guy smokes cigarettes, so do I. So he can't be that bad, right? (laughs) So he decided to go to class. And he said um, that Jonathan had a quote on the board by a rapper. So he was kind of like, oh, he's he's trying too hard. Oh, you think so? He was kind of like, okay. Uh, But he gave Jonathan a shot. And Corey started to trust him and come to class and school more often. He starts turning in assignments. Jonathan's, like, encouraging Corey to start writing poetry. And Corey just starts writing, like, pages and pages of poems. Wow. Right? But nearly a year later, the streets still got to Corey. And he winds up in prison for selling drugs. When Corey got out of prison, Jonathan still tried to help him. So he stayed in contact with him. And he tried to arrange for Corey to go to community college. While he was in prison? Mm-hmm. But Corey told Jonathan... No, once he got out. He was oh, only okay. in there for a year. But Corey told Jonathan, I don't think me and school are a good idea. 
So Jonathan was disappointed, but he was determined not to let other students fall through the cracks. So he's at Taft for years, and he's working harder and harder for his students. He's spending more time outside of normal teaching hours to make sure his students are succeeding. And although he was an open book to his students, his personal life was a mystery to not only his students, but to anyone who knew him. Ooh, I like where this is going. Yeah, he didn't really like... Dun, dun, dun. Open up to a lot of people. So now it's May 31st, 1997. Jonathan is supposed to show up to a Saturday morning mentoring program, but he doesn't show up, which is super unusual for him. Mm. He doesn't respond to any calls all weekend, and on Monday when he didn't show up to school, that's when alarm bells start going off. Uh. The principal starts calling teachers that Jonathan was friends with, but no one knew where he was. By Monday night, a group of teachers went to his apartment to check in and see if he was okay with the police. They knock, but there's no answer. They then knock on the door of his next-door neighbors, asking when was the last time they saw Jonathan. The neighbor said they didn't see him all weekend. So this sounds weird. The police ask the neighbor if they would let him into Richard, or to Jonathan's apartment, and the neighbor just has, like, a spare key. And he's like, sure, I'll let you in. That's weird. Were Thank they, you. Like, no one, like, they no. just act like that was normal. I would not. He was like, yeah, I just used my spare key to let them in. Well, Why is it a spare key? I mean, I guess if they're friendly... Yeah, they would seem friendly, but, like... like, you, in case you get locked out. Right. But, like, if the police ever... I don't know. I guess you should specify if the police come, don't let them into my home. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Like... I just think that's weird. Like, everyone in our neighborhood knew where my family home spare key was. Really? Oh, yeah. No one knew of mine. No? Do you have one now? No. Oh, because you have the lock. lock, yeah. The keypad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have one now? No. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> if you do, tell me where it is. Mm, so, <laughs> no. So the neighbor opens the door, and they take one step inside, and the smell hits him. What is this noise? <gasps> it was you. What's on me that is making that noise? I don't know. I have nothing electric on You, me. like, hit the chair, and it stopped. Hmm? There's a listening device in, your, in the chair. <laughs> That was so so weird. Okay, well, anyways. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I'm like, I have nothing on me that would make noise. Anyways. So, was it your drink? No. Like, letting out the things? No. Oh, all right. Anyways, so the neighbor opens the door, takes one step in, and the smell hits him. Oh, there's a dead body. And then he sees a body. Ugh. Jonathan was face down, lying between the kitchen and the living room. Face down. Mm-hmm. His- <laughs> That's the way you lock it. Oh, sorry, sorry. His ankles and wrists are bound with duct tape, and the medical examiner determined he was killed by a gunshot behind his left ear. But he, they also find cuts on his torso and neck. Mm. There was a knife there, which was the weapon, and he looked like he had been through some sort of ordeal before he died. So this was definitely going to get the attention of the media. Popular teacher killed in a rough neighborhood. I definitely would think it was the murdered neighbor. Murdered in their apartment. Really? Well, I guess since he let them in, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, like, so investigators are gathering evidence and fingerprints are lifted from a roll of duct tape they think was used to tie Jonathan up. His wallet was out and the credit cards were pulled out. And there was, there was credit cards, but there was no ATM card. So all of his credit cards were there, but his ATM card was missing. Okay. So the- there was an answering machine, and there was a couple of phone calls of just people looking for him. They were able to get the phone numbers and addresses for all of those calls and began to trace them. 
They also found multiple cigarette butts in the ashtray in the apartment, and they start collecting those for DNA. Test them for DNA. Okay, but I thought this was so weird. So clearly Jonathan is a smoker, right? Okay. On the show, they were like, there was multiple cigarette butts in the ashtray, which clearly means there was multiple people smoking. Oh, what? that doesn't mean that. That yeah, does weird. not mean that at all. That just means, that means he's he a had, chain smoker. Yeah, he had more than one cigarette in right. his house. Yeah, I thought weird. that was so weird when they said that. They were like, so clearly there was that is multiple weird. people smoking. Well, we know that this this series isn't the highest caliber <laughs> of uh, information. So anyways, investigators never found a gun. But what is weird that the apartment shows no signs of forced entry. Mm, so he knew his killer. Right? They even checked the lock for pick marks, but there's nothing. nothing. Could you pick so a lock? Probably, no. No, me neither. Never. <laughs> so he probably buzzed them in and let them into the apartment. They also found Chinese food in the apartment for two, which means he was sharing his last meal with his killer. Interesting. Or... Did he He's just hungry. Order a lot? Because I felt attacked when they said this. Because as someone who orders quite a bit of Chinese food at one time, fuck off. <laughs> Did they tell you how many? Like, yeah. uh, like how also, much? Also, the last time that me and my husband ordered sushi, which was like two weekends in a row how recently, much? they gave us four pairs of chopsticks with the order. Uh, they definitely fat shamed you. Fat shamed. Me. Like, here you go, Tubby. Have you got a six few- rolls. I feel like that's, that's not, not that, that much. Because I only eat vegetables. So Six mine were rolls. like three vegetable rolls. Yeah, because I think normally, well, I mean, I think I would order at least two for myself. Right? So six, like, and your husband's a big guy. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying. I don't think that's that this much. This poor Jonathan, they're fat shaming on TV. These producers are something else. <laughs> so investigators said his apartment looked like a casual dinner scene. Mm. And not much was out of place. So that's what was like weird. It didn't really look like a murder scene. Like they walked in and they could tell someone had been eating dinner. Like there right. wasn't a lot of blood. Right. Like it was weird. It wasn't like a violent struggle. Right, 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 right. So they start asking the neighbors if anyone heard of anything or seen anything in the apartment building that weekend. One of the last people to see him alive was an employee at the deli below his apartment. But then what, and that was all that was said. So, and then one of the neighbors gave them a big tip. (laughs) Apparently, Jonathan had a current girlfriend who Uh, was also married. (gasps) This whore. So this is also something I'd like to point out of the difference between what they say between when women get portrayed on a show and then men because the police officer then goes on the show to say so apparently Jonathan was not celibate that what <laughs> like that, it was no no big deal no big deal he, he, I was clearly not celibate he's, he's just, just not some, he's not following the lord's like, way like I feel like if it was the girl they'd be like wow, this she was known to right be a she little, was known to have just, suitors <laughs> a little loose in the I'm community like, a little low cut with her blouse <laughs> So is Jonathan a victim of a love triangle? Uh-huh. Is this why he kept his personal life so private? See, when I hear people say love triangle, I always think it was. I always think it's like it should be like a threesome, like yeah. a throuple, right. not like a, a man love, cheating yeah, on a woman, one, a woman cheating right. on a man, and there's another person. Yeah, like but it is. the three of them should be involved. Right, 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 right. Like an Eiffel Tower. I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not that I've ever been in one. So, Apparently, Jonathan did have quite a few, quite 
a large amount of women on his calling card. A stable, if you will? Yes. A little black book? So detectives start interviewing all of his girlfriends. Ex-girlfriends, married woman he may have been dating, all of them. Was he hot? Did they show pictures of him? Not really, but oh. I wish you I would have been on those interviews. You'll find out later why all these women were flocking. Mmm, he was packing He. <laughs> no. So it started to no. seem like the police and media were pushing to kind of turn the victim into a suspect. Like he was kind of the causal uh, part Like he of brought it on himself. Yes. A victim of his own misadventure. So they're they slut say. shaming him. Yes. Not only so, did they call him fat, they slut shamed right. him. So they're kind of like getting killed by a pissed off spouse of a deranged ex girlfriend. But like still not his fault that he was murdered. I really have a craving for Chinese food now. <sighs> Orange chicken, maybe? We got some last night. <laughs> <laughs> we got Thai food last night. It was so good. So now it's January 3rd, 1997, four days later. Everyone at Taft High School was in grief. Everyone was in shock. There were even students, like, having asthma attacks from crying so hard and having to be taken out in ambulance. Like, it was wild. He was Is a beloved a teacher, apparently. That's, that sounds fake. Asthma attack from crying? Is yeah. that, like, an anxiety? Because you can't breathe. But isn't that more anxiety? Oh my anxiety? god, I was, I was watching a TikTok where this girl tried to like dry, um, swallow her uh, workout, what is it called? Pre-workout. Like, pre-workout. She just like put it in her mouth and then took a swig of water and she has asthma and she like inhaled it instead of swallowing it and she couldn't breathe and her husband couldn't find her inhaler and she literally almost died in this video. And the, Jesus. The, like they didn't realize it was still recording. And so we and finally still found her inhaler. It. And so she starts taking her inhaler. And even like for like 30 seconds afterwards, she's like, I can't breathe. And I was like. Who would think that that was a good idea? Oh, people dry, dry swallow it all the time. It's not good. I've done it. Why not, would you do that? Because you just like take a shot of it instead of having to like swallow eight ounces of water. It's not great. Anyways, listen to this. As the school grieved, a revelation about his family hit the front news. Apparently, Jonathan Levin was the son of a wealthy, well-known communications executive, Gerald Levin. Wait. CEO of Time Warner. Oh. Wow. So first of all... Wait, I thought he was middle upper class. That's what they said in the show, but then all, this was like a shock. Like, oh, oh. my God. So first they said... Well, and Gerald, you'll find out, he didn't get, like, a lot of his money until after his parents got divorced. So he was raised not wealthy. Oh, It wasn't until, like, later. Got it. Um, But in this show, they go, the chief executive office officer of Time Warner. And I was like, oh, okay, so he's pretty high up. And then, like, three minutes later, they go, the CEO. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm a moron. (laughs) He was rich, bitch. (laughs) Right? So, again, like, Jonathan's neighbors and friends were shocked. They're like, what do you mean? Is they had a CEO of Time Warner? Like, he lives in this run-down, shitty apartment and teaches at Taft High School. What? What is he doing? Well, yeah. he can afford it. That's right. why. But, like, Jonathan, so he didn't grow up in super wealth. He grew up definitely comfortable. Like, upper middle class. But his dad made most of his wealth after his parents got divorced. Uh, and Jonathan made it a, a caveat to, like, not take any of his money. He wanted to carve his own path. I, mean, I never get people like that. I literally have in my notes. I mean, good for those people. But I am riding those motherfucking coattails to the end. Give Bye. Me the cash and gravy Bye. Driving. Mm, not living a hard life if I don't no. have to. So once it was revealed to his students, his staff soon knew then too. And it was, and it was kind of a shock to some of his students because they were like, he didn't act like a millionaire. 
when he was teaching us yeah. in the South Bronx. So it kind of gave him more clout. Like, they were like, that guy is really cool yeah. and didn't seem pretentious. So his funeral was held at a Park Avenue synagogue, which holds a couple thousand people. Oh, just and a, it was just packed. A, just, a little, just a little gathering. I'm, I'm lucky if I can fill 50 people in a funeral home. <laughs> I know, we struggle with your like, birthday party. Wh- honestly. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but even celebrities were showing up because I think because his dad's CEO of Time Warner so like Jane Fonda was there like it was wild so they weren't really there for him no. they were there because of his father I mean there was a lot of students sure there I'm sure there was but... yeah. so now it was found out that Jonathan was dating just dating three women all off and on one of which would have been married so these women knew, knew he, had he money, was wealthy uh... like, you know what I mean they had to have they knew who his father was. Yeah. Uh, you know? Mm. I mean, maybe he hit it, but I'm thinking they had a Damn. <laughs> but the police I mean, were moving away from any jealous ex theory. They had no info that really supported it. They couldn't, like, Yeah, but if they were married, sleeping with married men. I don't know. But now, because of his women. father's wealth, the police are thinking that maybe that's what it was. It, but my head, like, wouldn't that have been more of a kidnapping scenario? Why would they have killed him? Yeah, why would they have just killed right. him? Yeah, that's They're strange. They're going to take him. They would have kidnapped him and asked for a ransom. To me, it screams a husband of one of the women he was Well, paying. another city may have the answer. Another city? Mm-hmm. Okay. We're off to Chicago. The police there were on the hunt for a dangerous man named Andrew Cunanan. Sound familiar? Oh, he's the guy that killed uh, Versace. Yes. He was one of FBI's most wanted for several murders he committed. Versace, one of them. Some of those people were his lovers. And rumors were swirling around that Jonathan could have been gay and was killed by Uh. Cunanan. Another murder was being linked to Cunanan in Huntsville, New Jersey, which was only, which was less than 120 miles away from where Jonathan lived. Could Uh. this have been? Wait, so who are these women that he was talking to then? I don't know. They don't bring them up again. (laughs) So, Cunanan was known... Well, here's the other thing. Cunanan was known to use duct tape and to target rich men. But there's nothing really um, further to confirm this, so the detectives moved on. (laughs) (laughs) So, they really... They don't even think it had anything to do with them? But they just brought it up randomly? Okay. Like, they thought maybe it could have, but, like, then they find nothing further. So, is is there anything more about him being gay? No. So... Again. So, again, it's 1997. We're in the final year of Rudy Giuliano's first term. And he's touting crime is on the way down. So they have to, like, crack this case. Like, the son of the CEO of Time Warner. They have to yeah. finally kill him. This does not look good for Giuliani. So the, the suspicion that he was killed for money kept coming up. And they finally got a lead when they discovered that his ATM card was used two blocks from his apartment at 5.15 p.m. on the day he was murdered. They checked with the bank, and the camera footage shows that it wasn't Jonathan Levin, but it was too fuzzy to see, like, who it exactly was. Exactly who it was, yeah. So, like, that's annoying. So, that got them nowhere. But then they go back to the knives, and they get a partial fingerprint and begin to put together their theory of what happened that night. They think that whoever it was tied Jonathan up, beat him and scared him, held a knife to his neck and chin to get his PIN number to his ATM. But he must have known them since he left them, let in, them yeah. in without a forced entry. So they look back at the phone calls and messages on his answer machine, and one begins to stand out. Mm. It's a call from a student who says, like, 
hey, Mr. Levin, I need to see you right away. Like, please uh, come and see me. I have to see you right away. And they know it's a student because it, they say, like, Mr. Levin, I sure. need to see you. They don't say they Jonathan. Yeah, call him by his first name. Who was the student? No, not the one he's helping. Corey. No. So police asked around the school, like, was it normal for students to have his phone number? Was it normal for him to meet people outside of school? Like, would he have gone to see him? And everyone's like, yes, he would have. He would have dropped everything to help any student. And then a new break comes. The fingerprint lifted from the duct tape hits in the system. Okay. It was his because he was aggressive. Uh... He was the one on the phone and the fingerprint is on the duct tape. This makes me sad. Right? So now it's June 6th, 1997. Police are on the hunt for him. He's evading the police, obviously. Obvious. So they put out an $11,000 reward for any information on him. He's only 19. Jeez. So the NYPD tactical team are just raiding locations all over, but they seem to be like one step behind him. And then, of course, it's always an ex-girlfriend. Wait, he was 19 and still in high school? No, remember he oh, got went out, to jail. went to jail. Community college, yep, Community got college. it. So then, the next girlfriend, it's always mm. the fucking girlfriends who talk. Snitch. She says the crime wasn't committed alone. There was another person involved. Uh, Montoon Hart. Montoon? Yeah, that's his name. Interesting. Now, Montoon and Corey, they don't really seem to be friends, but they know each other from the neighborhood. So Montoon was quickly arrested, and after hours of questioning, he admits to being at the apartment and implicates Corey. He said he had went and he just, like, tagged along and went with Corey, and they had asked for money, and when Jonathan said no, Corey pulled out a gun and a knife. Montoon said that he helped tie him up, but that's it. And he said Jonathan, like, pleaded with Corey to let him go, um, and Montoon said Corey wouldn't keep Jonathan alive because he could identify Corey and he could go to jail. So uh, he said that he was just there with him, and um, that's it. Mm. So they finally tracked Corey down at his grandmother's house, and Corey was charged with first-degree murder and robbery, and Montoon was charged with second-degree murder and robbery. And during the but during the interrogation, he gives a completely different story that doesn't even involve Montoon. Oh, he said he wanted to see Jonathan on his own. And that they were hanging out, eating some Chinese food, when men burst into the apartment to kill Jonathan. Montoon said, did? No. Corey said, so Corey's talking to the police. Okay. He said he went to see Jonathan on his own. Okay. Like, Corey's doesn't even involve Montoon. He said Montoon was never even there. Oh, okay, okay. So, he said they were just, at, him and Jonathan were at Jonathan's apartment. They were just eating some Chinese food when, like, men burst into the apartment to kill uh, Jonathan. Oh, like it was somebody completely different. He said it was like different. an ambush, like a gang type thing. Okay. To account for his fingerprints, he said he was forced by the assailants, who he refuses to name, to tie up Jonathan. Corey tells police that he he then fled the apartment and only learned of Jonathan's death later. He didn't go to the police because he was afraid he would be accused. And he refuses to name names and refuses to talk about the crime to this day. Hmm. So Corey's on the show. And he says, like, they interviewed him. And he's like, I'm not going to talk about that day. There is real pain involved. There's real feelings involved. If they, if his family want to know more on a personal level, I've always made myself accessible to them. Do you think they're having an affair? Oh, maybe. That's what I thought. Right oh, now. and that's why he wouldn't, like, say anything. say anything. And that's why he didn't say that he was there. Right. Oh, that they were, like, they were. That's what I was thinking. Oh. They're having an affair? Or, like, I don't know. I mean, it's not. Or was it like, was Corey involved with a gang and this was like initiation to get into the gang? They had to jump someone and he can't tell who's 
other gang people are, he's gonna uh, die. Like, you know what I mean? That was my other Because he would die in prison? He, or just in general, if he, he's not in prison, he could, they're gonna jump him if he says snitches. it was, if yeah. he snitches. That was my other thought. Um, those are good theories. Right? So now the two men are in jail awaiting trial, and the media, like, immediately throws Corey Arthur to the wolves, obviously. Sure. They're destroying him. Right, because he's... The media also got a past. always finds they find a third culprit, the victim. So they like tore apart how Jonathan was so involved with his students, and they kind of blamed him for his own murder. If he if he just hadn't gotten so close to these hood rats, like all of these things that the media was saying, Thugs. isn't that crazy? Oh, that's awful. If he was willing to use unconventional needs to educate and reach his kids. Um, and, like, while his story is one of service and dedication, they're saying this is a cautionary tale of boundaries and, like, all of these things. Wow. So now when Corey's trial begins, it's expected to last five weeks with over 70 witnesses. Ultimately, the evidence is enough to get a conviction, but the prosecutors could not convince the jury that Corey is the one who pulled the trigger. He did not get first-degree murder. He got second-degree murder with a minimum sentence of 25 years. This pissed people off. Huh. Jonathan's mother did a victim statement and she righteously accused Corey of taking advantage of the one person who cared for him and she said she'll never forgive him. Now, Montoon's trial came. His defense argued his confession is unreliable because he was drunk when he did it. And oh. the jury acquits him. Wow. Entirely absolved. Well, you know, like, I can, I probably would too because, yeah. like, he, well, if he really was drunk. Right. And if the, um, Corey, Corey said, said he wasn't like, there. Wasn't there. But, like, how drunk do you have to be to convince, to to say you were involved in a murder? People do it sober. Yeah, it's true. People get false confessions all the time. It's so wild to me. I know. I mean, I probably would, too, if I was, like, terrified. Okay, fine, whatever you want to hear. Uh, like, you know? Ugh. The only words I'm ever saying, if anyone brings me to a police officer, is lawyer. Police station? I know. Lawyer. 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 Honestly. What's your name? Lawyer. Also, how wild is this? When Corey was in jail for drugs, he was at Lakeshore Correctional. Really? Yeah, or Lakeview Shocks or whatever they call it. Mm. And now he's serving his 25 years in Attica. Wow. Yeah, so he still refuses to talk about it to this day. He does say um, Jonathan would be alive that day if it wasn't for him. So he takes responsibility for his death and he says he can't bring him back, but he didn't kill him. So, like, what do you think? Wow. That's an interesting ending. Yeah. Um, That's why I'm like, it's such like a whodunit. Like, do you sure. think that they were lovers? Do you think it was a drug deal gone wrong? Do you think it was a gang initiation? I never... Do you, or do you think... Another theory. Do you think that he needed money and he knew Jonathan had money and when he couldn't get it, like, people followed him and, like, burst into the apartment to make I sure mean, he got it? I, th- I think they're all plausible theories. I think the least plausible is that they were homosexuals yeah, and dating each sure. other. Yeah, 100% but, least plausible, like, but... <laughs> but... And the only it's always I, possible. The only reason I say that is because of that stupid theory they brought about about that... With Andrew Kahn, yeah. And it's not, even, it's not even a real thing. <laughs> I never would have said that if it would have been for that. He might have been gay. <laughs> like, sir, you just called him fat you just outed him you just like what is happening this show on this show i can't these producers. i think it probably was like a gang gang related yeah mm-hmm. because there's so many initiations we have to like jump someone yeah and who knows like i don't know you, you didn't really bring it up like they didn't talk about it but if he had drug issues like yeah. not saying that right. all people with drug right. issues are like that but it's like you've seen how many yeah. murder cases and stories where they need money and yeah, they'll do anything like it goes too yeah. far or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? 
Like, people who are desperate do desperate yeah, things. Right. And if they knew that he had money, but... Yeah, that's crazy. I, I definitely think it's gang, gang yeah. and or drug related. I do appreciate the fact that he was like, uh, takes at least like some responsibility. responsibility yeah. Where he's like, yeah, if it hadn't been for me, he'd be if alive. I, wasn't there, I didn't he'd be do there. it, but yeah. I pretty much caused it. Sure. Which is kind of wild. Sad. He seemed real, like he seemed really well spoken on the show yeah. and like kind of really contrite nice. about it. Yeah. Mm. So. <laughs> Well, hopefully he gets out and things turn around. What'd you say? He got 25 years? Yeah. Yeah, so he's still in jail. So that would, I mean, that Minimum was... sentence of 25 years. He can serve his 25 years in a correctional facility, but they don't say, like, if he's... So 25 20, years is next year. Minimum 25 years. Yeah. So 20, 20, well, 2022 yeah. would be next right. year. That's 25 years. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if he's up for parole. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Well, let us know what you think. Let us know what your theories are behind this one. Gay love gone wrong. <laughs> and let us know how much Chinese food you eat. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like sushi? Six rolls or four. And you can follow us uh, um, at the podcast at It Just Makes Sense Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me, WWCM on the Buff on Instagram. And you can follow Jeff. At Jeff Seif, 1F on Twitter. And um, you can always join our Facebook group, too, at the... It Facebook. just makes sense <laughs> podcast discussion group. I'm like, what is it? What do we call it again? <laughs> don't forget to like, subscribe, and just spread the word. Let people know if you love us. Get us out there. All right. Bye. Bye.